0: And let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise and thanksgiving before we move into the Word. Aren't you glad to be in 2022? Amen. The alternative uh, is better than the alternative, I'll say that. And um, I know that we are, we are in a season right now where uh, many of us are stretching and reaching for higher things. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. And uh, in the middle of this week of consecration, when Pastor asked me to speak, I... I've prayed and thought about what what I can add and what I can say tonight, and I'm confident the Lord is is speaking to each of you in your own personal time. But I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about um, from the topic of from the heart, and that'll make sense here in a moment. But um, I just I wonder if we could just open our hearts and pray right now, and just ask the Lord to speak to us tonight to help us as we begin to draw into what He's calling us to do this year, Lord. God, we open our hearts tonight, God. We come here this Wednesday and worship unto you, God, because we want to be transformed to your image and not conformed to this world. God, we come here tonight to open our hearts to your word so that your word will speak and minister to us, God, so that you will help us, God, to walk as we have not walked before. In the name of Jesus, God, we invite you into this place to have your way. In Jesus' name, we praise you and we thank you. If you believe that, would you just give the Lord one more hand clap of praise as you're seated. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. You can be seated. I'm going to read just real quickly. It's a scripture that Pastor read on Sunday. And uh, when, when he preached, uh, I mean, what an awesome message this Sunday to start the year. Thank you, Pastor, for that. But this scripture especially stuck out to me. It's Ezekiel 36, verse 26. He said, and I will give you a new heart. Somebody say a new heart. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Is anybody glad to have the Holy Ghost? I'll put a new spirit within you. And he said, listen to what he says. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, he says, I'm going to take the hardness of your heart out of you. And I'm going to put a soft heart in you. And he said, and I will put my spirit within you, and listen to this, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. He said, I will give you a new heart. And then a few weeks back, we were putting together the daily prayer in the very first day Sunday, he preached and, and, and on that scripture, and then Monday, our prayer was, Lord, give us a new heart for a new year. So tonight, I want to I talk to you a little bit about your heart. Uh, it's amazing how, how things coalesce. One of my Bible college mentors, I didn't know he was ill. Uh, we've lost touch, but I saw this week that he had a successful heart transplant, and uh, I'm thankful to that, Brother Mitchell, uh, out of... Uh, uh, Columbus, Indiana, great pastor, man of God, district superintendent up there, had a heart transplant. And they said, the doctor said that uh, it could not have gone better. That's my prayer for this year, that, that we get each get a heart transplant. And that it goes just as the surgeon wants it to go, amen? And so, every time around this year, our minds and hearts are drawn to the idea of newness. Anybody made some new resolutions? some commitments, some goals. My wife and I were talking last night at dinner, and I said, what are your goals for the year? I love putting the pressure on her. I I consequently did not share any of my own. (laughs) We're always thinking about newness at the beginning of the year. The new year brings with it thoughts of a new life, new habits, new endeavors, and perhaps it's because we look back over our shoulder to 2021 And we see the broken promises that we made to ourselves. Anybody have any of those in 2021? Broken promises that we made maybe at the beginning of the year, even in the middle, to ourselves and to God. We told God, I'm going to do better. I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to pray more. How many of you, ooh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you didn't finish your yearly Bible plan last year? Ooh, man, that one stings, especially when you're starting a brand new one over and then you You have the debate, do I start a new one or do I finish the one from last year? And so perhaps we look back and we see that roadway littered with good intentions that we had that were lost somewhere along the way. And we've all lived this and experienced it. And so here's what we do. Every January we decide to try again, amen? Try again. We didn't do that well with our diet last year. But we're going to try again. We didn't cultivate the life of prayer that we wanted last year, but bless God, we're going to try again. Amen? Maybe we didn't reach the high and lofty goals we set for ourselves last year. But year after year, we come back to January. And how many of you do this every year? You you make a new commitment, and you make a brand new start, and you say, you know what? I may not have done it last year, but I'm going to try to do it this year. Amen? Can I get it? I I know me and Pastor aren't the only ones. And so, don't get me wrong, I'm not not here to bash the idea of doing better, but rather to point out that God has woven into our hearts the understanding that there is more for us than we are living in right now, that God has a better calling for us, a better uh, lifestyle for us, giftings that we've not yet walked into, callings that we've not yet fulfilled, And so God has woven that into our inner man and our inner being. And it just so happens that every January it comes back up again. And we come face to face with the fact that we are not everything that we could be. Why? I found myself asking, why do we try again? Why do we try again? If if it didn't happen before. Now, some of us, we in and out of diets all the time. <laughs> but, but why try again if it didn't work last time? A while back, I ran across a video by author Daniel Pink describing a negotiation tactic. Found it extremely interesting because you can use it when someone is hesitant to pull the trigger on a decision. I, I love this because he couched the whole thing in in uh, the context of a parent trying to convince their teenager to clean their room, and it was a tip, he, was, he, he meant it for business people, but it, it was geared towards helping people realize their underlying beliefs and motives, and it simply goes like this, he says, imagine that you were the parent of a teenager whose room is a mess, and you want her to clean it, just imagine, some of you, it's not that hard to imagine. You're living it right now. (laughs) Amen. And and he says, imagine that that as a parent, you have tried everything that you know to do to get this kid to clean their room. There's a lot of things that you can do. You can try to bribe them. Anybody done this? If you'll just clean your room, I'll buy you that new video game you've been wanting. Please. That can get expensive right quick, y'all man you can you can try to bribe your kids if if you'll do this then i'll do that and and you'll get more privileges and and you can try uh to bribe them Uh, i'm going to tell all my kids they weren't reading their bible like they should so i started offering them money for every chapter that they read and they still don't read the bible all the time and they start saying man i wish i had more money i'm like you could have just read the bible i'll pay you whatever it takes i want my kids to read the bible But that doesn't always work. You can try to bribe them. Any parents here ever try to bribe a kid? Amen. You can try to bribe them. He said, you you can try to reason with them and explain why it's important. I am the king of dad lectures. I'm going to give you a six-point sermon on why you should have done it differently. And my kids, they get to the point, okay, can we just stop talking, please? So The other idea is I'm going to wear them down until they agree. And you can try to lecture and reason all you want, but all the reasoning in the world, baby, if you clean your room, it'll create good and uh, develop good habits, and, and one day you'll be a good employee. They don't care. They just don't want to pick up their clothes. You can try to reason with them. You can lecture them. My mom went the threatening route. Her favorite word was immaculate. We used to make fun of her for this all the time after we were grown because, you know, you didn't make fun of mom until you were grown. <laughs> and we, we, she would get ready to leave the house and she would, she would say, when I get back to this house, your room better be immaculate or you're not going anywhere this weekend. And she would threaten, and, it, and if I get back to this house and your room is not immaculate, I'm taking every item out of your room and I'm throwing it in the driveway. And that kind of worked a little, I got to admit The threatening route. But it never got down deep that I needed to clean my room. And so there's that route. But the video that I'm talking about shared this simple tactic from counseling literature that helps move people into action when they're hesitant. And it's called motivational interviewing. Anybody ever heard of this? Wave your hand if you've never heard of this. Motivational interviewing. It's it's what counselors use to help people to realize Why they are not doing something that they should be doing. And so, he says this, he says, you just ask two irrational questions. You ask them first a simple question, you say, darling, my sweet daughter who will not clean her room. On a scale of one to ten, how ready are you to clean your room today? I tried to imagine my mom coming up to me with a pad and paper saying, Young man, how ready are you? <laughs> Listen, I couldn't have seen the list from the black eyes. <laughs> but this is what he said. He said, ask your daughter on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not at all and 10 being like you're ready to go right now, on a scale of 1 to 10, how ready are you to clean your room today? And he said, the truth is, if if there's any honesty at all, they're not going to say zero because they don't want to get in trouble. And he said, they're going to give you a low number because they don't want to clean their room. And so, he said, they're going to say two or three. And he said, you follow up that simple question with another irrational question. You ask, okay, so you're a two. You're not a nine, you're not an eight, you're not a seven. Not a six, not even a five. You're a two. So why didn't you pick a lower number? And what this forces that teenager to do is to start spitting out their own reasons and motivations for why they should do it. In other words, it puts them in touch. Now I see like light bulbs going off, parents are like, I'm trying this tonight. But it puts them in touch with their own motive. Why are you not a one? Well, I'm not a one because sometimes I can't find what I want to wear when I go into my room. And I'm not a one because if my friends come over unexpectedly, I might be embarrassed when they walk and peek inside my room. I'm not a one because I know that I should be doing better. And so here's what I've come to ask you on a scale of one to ten. Why aren't you praying more? How ready are you to pray like you ought to pray? And if it's not a 10, if it's not a 9, even if it's a 2 or a 3, why isn't it lower? You see, motivational reasoning puts you in communication with the underlying reasons that will cause you to do something. And the truth is that what we do and don't do always flows that way. Because it's not so much about pressure and all of these things, but the pathway of broken vows that lie behind us are evidence of what we really feel and believe about life. But yet every year we come back and we say, but I want to do more. And so what we have to do is we have to get it right on the inside before it flows out into our life on the outside. And faith informs outcomes. Because what we believe in our innermost being about ourselves, about our God, about our circumstances, play a much larger role in whether or not we will, all, uh, we will uh, get it done this year. It plays a lot, much larger role in whether or not we will make the changes than we would imagine it does. Because really who you are flows from your innermost being. And how you live flows from within. What is happening under the surface of your life is creating what you see in the outcome of your life. And so Proverbs twenty four twenty three 23 says it this way in the English Standard Version. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. He's saying underneath the surface there is a source from which everything that you see unfolding in your character, in your morality, in your worship, in your habits, it's flowing from some belief that lives beneath the surface. It's flowing from some place deep within. And so when these desires at the beginning of the year crop their head up, what it's really telling us is that somewhere in our heart there is a desire. To answer the call to be more in God. Somebody say it's from the heart. King James Version says, with all diligence guard the heart, for from it are the issues of life. And look, there's no such thing as an issue that's not a heart issue. I think we forget that sometimes when we start trying to say, I'm going to pray more. How many of you committed to pray more this year? Amen. How many of you committed to to walk with God more this year? And you've already in your personal consecration time. Today we pray personal growth. God, I want to grow this year. What I want to do tonight is try to help you get in touch with the thing that will help you to succeed in that endeavor. Because the truth is that what is lying under the surface is what will cause us to fail or to succeed in our walk with God. We often fail when we set out to do better because we try to change our habits without changing our heart. Can I get an amen? And here's what we do. I've seen it happen a lot of times. Somebody gets in trouble. Pastor can back me up on this. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast seven days a week. Jesus, just help me. No, you're not. You're not going to fast seven days a week. You're not going to fast three days a week. More likely than not. But we tell ourselves these things. We say, God, I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to miss a church service in 2022. And listen, amen, I hope you don't. But this is what we do is we start reasoning and saying, maybe the reason that it didn't happen for me in 2021 is because I didn't try hard enough. I didn't put enough effort in. I, I didn't do it. I quit. When I know I could have done more. But here is the reality, is that what happens in our life and what comes out of our life is first rooted and seated in the heart. And so if your heart never changes, your habits can't change either. If your heart doesn't change your habits, you'll, you'll do it for a while and then you'll fall off. I heard a story of a, of a man... Uh, who came to his pastor, his marriage was, was broken up, he was separated from his wife because he had just a terrible mouth. He would cuss his wife up one side and down the other, speak negatively about everything and everybody in their life, and she had enough of it. And she left him, and so he came to her, and he got her and the pastor together, and he said, I know what I've done. I'm going to do better. It's my mouth, and he had never admitted this before, so the wife, she said, well, I've never seen him admit it before. So they got back together, and for about six months, he tried really hard. And every time he wanted to say something, he would bite his tongue. But a couple days after six months, he slipped back into the old pattern. And it worked for a little while because he was trying to change his habits, but he hadn't changed his heart. And all of a sudden the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so he started back up again and ended up destroying his marriage because he tried to change the habit without ever changing the heart. And this is what we do sometimes when we say, God, I'm going to live for you better and I'm going to do better and I'm, I'm going to be holier this year. And God almost set my, right, my, my mind right and I'm going I'm to read the word of God every day. And we try to change the habits, but we haven't yet changed our heart. And so you can never really see sustainable, deep change because we can change on the surface for a little while change, you can try hard and change on the surface for a little while. But if the heart doesn't change, you'll end up right back where you started. And so, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus and his disciples are caught. They're caught red-handed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees find them and like try not to gasp too hard, try not to fall backwards in your chair that, that Jesus' disciples did this. But they had this tradition of ceremonial hand-washing. They did it a certain way. They had to do it a certain amount of times before they ate. And, and the disciples did not wash their hands properly. And so they came to Jesus about it. And the Bible says that Matthew fifteen ten, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them this, hear and understand, as they're being criticized because they have not fulfilled the tradition of the Pharisees in washing, in ceremonial cleansing, they're saying that your disciples are unclean. How can you be a teacher of the things of God if your disciples are not clean? They're not washing. I mean, I'm pro hand washing, but it doesn't get you anywhere with God. And so Jesus, listen, he says when he called them to himself, he said, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. But it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. And Peter, later on, a few verses down in verse 15 answered and said to him, so explain this parable to us, Jesus. And Jesus said, are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters into the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, theft, false witness, blasphemy, and these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Jesus lived in a religious period of time where they thought that external applications are what made you holy before God. Because they associated it with walking into the temple, into the holy place, and cleansing themselves which was a symbol of the washing of baptism that was to come. But it was never meant to be the literal way by which you made yourself worthy of God. And so Jesus is living in this day where they have this context. And and the Pharisees have what some theologians call an excarnational view of discipleship. And that simply means that they thought that by focusing on the outward, they could produce the inward. If I wash out here, then I must be clean in here. And so they believed that if you wash your hands in ceremony, that you would be clean before God. If you dressed the part and looked the part and acted the part, that God was then pleased. Their approach to God was based on exerting external effort. And so. What, what we find the Pharisees doing is they would focus on these things that were really doable. I mean, it, it's not that hard to wash your hands, right? It's not that hard to wear the right clothes. It's not that hard to present yourself in that way, but what they were doing is they were failing in the spirit of the law. They were, they were getting the letter right often, but they were failing in the spirit of the law. And and Jesus eventually says of them that they were like whited sepulchers. They look good and clean on the outside, but inside there's just death and they're just full of bones because they had this excarnational view of walking with God. That if I just do these things, then I'm right with God. I just go to church. I just show up. If I'm physically in the prayer room before church, don't matter what I'm thinking about. (laughs) Don't matter if I'm praying ugly prayers about people I don't like, gossiping with Jesus. As long as I'm doing the spiritual thing, then I'm good with God, right? I I go to church. Anybody ever heard someone say, I go to church. I go to church excarnational discipleship in other words if I exert the right effort in the right disciplines then I will arrive at the right place and we do the same thing because when we get convicted and are confronted in areas that we fail we say I'll do better I'll pray more I'll fast more I won't miss church I'll tithe." hey we want you to do that I'll shine pastor's shoes I'll do whatever it takes this is what we do Because we recognize that something must be done. I'll show up early. I won't even be 15 minutes late on Sunday. Somebody hear me in the house today. God, I'm going to do better in 2022. And that's what we do when we feel conviction. I'm going to do better. And hear me though. None of those things are bad things. But by themselves, none of those things address the real issue. What Jesus was teaching was shocking and revolutionary to the Jewish world around him. He taught that sin flows out from the inner man and defiles him. So you can go to church every time the doors are open. And if you never get the heart right, you'll just keep producing death from within. The heart is the issue. It's not that you didn't try hard enough. It's not about how much effort you applied. But it is the beliefs and the affections that live in your heart that derail your spiritual efforts. It's the heart. And when I'm messing up, it's not because I'm not trying hard enough or I need to do better. What it's screaming to me when my life is prayerless and when when my disciplines have fallen away is that something is off down deep inside. That means that I don't pray because there is some belief, or precept, or idea in my heart that is pushing up a stream of prayerlessness to the surface of my life. And somewhere along the way, perhaps I've lost sight of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God to answer prayer. And so the issue isn't that I didn't do good enough. The issue is that I did not believe in my heart that prayer would make a difference, so I didn't pray. Anybody ever been through a prayerless season in your life? that The heart was the issue. God didn't stop being God. The church didn't quit being the church. Miracles, signs and wonders still available. The Spirit's still flowing. But me, I'm cut off from it all because of what's happening in my heart. When I... I don't do these things, and I don't live according to these things. It's not always sin. Sometimes it's just misunderstanding and not getting it down deep in our soul. And look, here is the opposite of what excarnational living is. It's incarnational living. And the model of that is Jesus. When God decided to redeem mankind, we just pre- uh, heard it preached on Christmas uh, service, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. He's God in flesh, God incarnate. And so when he came to be our living example of freedom and of hope and of victory, it was God living in and through mankind. And that's exactly what the Spirit wants to do in us too. He wants it to come from the inside out. He doesn't want you to have to try to live by some checklist. that that if you don't meet or match that somehow you failed God. No, he wants prayerfulness and faithfulness and the gifts of the Spirit and, and walking by faith. He wants that to well up from the inside. He said, if you drink of the water that I have, it will be in you a spring of water welling up into everlasting life. That is the will of God, is he wants something to start in the heart that will impact your life. And so my life, is the product of my heart. Can I get an amen? You've heard this probably said about your habits, about your weight, about your business, about all sorts of things, about your education. And I'll say it about your life in the spirit, that your life, your beliefs, and your affections are perfectly set up to produce exactly who you are right now. And so you can't just do more things at the beginning of 2022 and expect it all to go differently. You can't just say, I'm going to add a little prayer here. I'm going to sprinkle a little spirituality there. I'm going to dice up some fasting and sprinkle it throughout my year. I'm just going to add a few little more pieces. But no, what God really wants to do... And I believe he's doing it already in 2022 as he wants to get down where you live in the depths of your heart and your soul and what you believe and the things that you tell yourself and the things that you believe about who God is and about who you are. And he wants to start a stream from that point in your life that will really change you, that will really change you. And if I want to change my life, that means that I've got to first deal with what lives and what lies inside me that is keeping me from being who God called me to be. As a young preacher, I struggle with it. It's okay if I'm transparent, because I wanted to preach, and so I prayed to preach. When it was my time, man, I'd seek God, but I didn't see the deep need all the rest of the time, and so ministry plateaued and it was shallow. I mean, thank God for grace. Thank God I'm here. But look, when my life started to change is where I realized and recognized there's some stuff in me that's wrong, God. There's some stuff in me that needs to be changed, God. There's some stuff in my heart and in my life that that I can't be who you called me to be if I live this way and believe this way and act this way. And so, I'm here telling you tonight, because I want to help somebody that's trying to change your life this year, that if you'll get it down deep in the heart, and you'll focus on letting God speak into your spirit. We heard it. It's a promise of God that Pastor read here and preached on Sunday morning. God says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you and it will cause you to walk in my statutes. The things that you struggled with before, when the spirit begins to do a work in your heart, it's not a struggle anymore. And so I want to give you some, just some simple things to help you really change. How to really, really change. Anybody want to really change? I don't want to just, I don't want to just slip on this outer sheen of new spiritual habits for a few months and let them fall away. But I, I want to become something in God. How about you? I want to become what God has called me to be. And so I want to say that, first of all, real change comes from resetting your heart. Somebody say, reset your heart. How many of you ever heard this? Follow your heart. People got on tattoos all the time, sides of buildings. You go down to a big city, there. Someone painted a big heart on a brick building. Follow your heart. I tell you, that's the worst advice that anybody could give you. Your heart is stupid. Your heart is liar. Can I get an amen? Is that all right if we're real? L- listen to what the scripture says. It says that the heart is deceitfully wicked and you can't even really know it yourself. So following your heart is a terrible idea because it will trick you into thinking you're doing the right thing for the right reason when you're really not. The Pharisees were convinced that they were doing it all right. They had the look and the hand washing and all all the ceremonies down. But they missed the point because the heart is deceitfully wicked. It's tricky. It'll trick you into thinking you're doing the right thing when really you're doing it for the wrong reason. And our heart begins to churn out justifications and reasonings that can make the most unreasonable things seem perfectly fine and good. Well, I had to leave my spouse. I wasn't happy. And God wants me to be happy. And so I had to go live in sin. I had to unwind a little because if I didn't, I was going to get stressed. And God doesn't want me stressed and depressed, so it's okay. Slug back a few. Listen, your heart can turn out reasons for doing the wrong things all the time. Your heart can lie to you and tell you you're doing it for a good reason and that why you're doing it is different than why everybody else does it. While everybody's telling themselves the same exact thing, can I get an amen? Your heart will lie to you. It's deceitful. And it can make unreasonable things seem really good, perfectly fine. But listen to what the psalmist says said in Psalm 119, 112, he said this, he said, I incline my heart, somebody say incline my heart, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I love this because the word incline means to reorient or to stretch or to reposition. And so the psalmist understood that if my heart is where it is right now, I'll never follow through on the things that I've told God that I want to do and that I really want to do. Romans 7 tells us that the things we want to do, we do not do because we're in the flesh. And and so we end up doing what we did want to do, and we never get around to doing the things that we did want to do because there is this war that is happening inside of us. But the psalmist said this, I understand that my heart is not in position to walk in his statutes. So here's what I do, is I incline my heart so that I can perform the statutes forever to the end. You see, in our natural state, our hearts are declined. Why don't you get up and pray today? Decline. Anybody got that button on your phone? Decline this call. God's calling you to pray. Decline. Oh, I, maybe later, God. I'm busy right now. That's, that's the natural state of our heart. Why don't you fast today? Decline. They're bringing free pizza to work today. Sorry, God. How many of you know when you fast, someone's gonna offer you free food? I'm just gonna let just put that out there during our week of consecration. Somebody's gonna show up with the most delicious morsel and it's a test, I'm just telling you. Decline, and that, that's the natural inclination of our heart because our heart is on the decline. It always gravitates to the lesser, to the emptier things of the world. And so the Bible says it this way, we're born into sin and shapen in iniquity. And so our hearts are declined. They gravitate to sin and to struggle like fish to water. We're drawn by our hearts to what is easy. Why don't you exercise? Because exercise doesn't feel good. But okay, if I just demystify that at the beginning of the year, I really need to get back to the gym. I, don't tell, I can't tell you how many times I've said that, and I have no intention of going anywhere near a gym, <laughs> not one. I haven't even Googled a gym, I haven't even looked up a price, oh, really? I really, I need to get back. Yeah, I know I do, but my heart is declining that, <laughs> because what's easy and what's comfortable is what my heart gravitates to. What feels good is what my heart gravitates to. And unless we reorient our heart, we will naturally be drawn away from godly things. And so the psalmist said this, he said, I incline my heart. I reposition my inner thoughts and feelings so that I can perform your statutes. How many of you have ever been to the dentist? How weird would it be if the dentist started working on your teeth with you sitting straight up? Just, just put your head back some. Reaching around down there where he can't see. What do they do? They put you on an incline, don't they? Because... When you're inclined, they have access. They tell you, open your mouth a little wider. Get in a position where I can fix what's wrong. And, and this is what I see in, in the scripture when the psalmist says, I incline my heart to your statutes so that I may perform your statutes. Is he saying, in my natural state, God, I, I really don't want to pray. Anybody ever been honest with yourself and say, I don't feel like praying? Charles Spurgeon said, when you don't feel like praying, that's when you need to pray the most. But I incline my heart. In other words... I reposition my heart. I say, heart, you can't get fixed that way. And so I reposition myself under the promises and in the word of God to say, you know what? Prayer works. And God answers prayer. And God wants to bring things to pass in my life through prayer. And God wants to change me through prayer. So I will reposition my heart. I'm going to lead my heart to the master so that he can work on it. I'm going to get in the perfect position so that he can do whatever surgery is necessary in. I incline my heart, I position my heart so that the outcome of my life is different. And so, how do I incline my heart? I'm just gonna give you a few, I'm not gonna preach long on them and I'm gonna wrap up here in just a couple minutes. But here's how you incline your heart. First, you humble yourself before God. Can I get an amen? In other words, I stop trusting what I think and what I feel more than what God's Word says. That's the definition of humbling yourself before God. I read this morning, this happened to come up in my Bible reading, 2 Chronicles chapter seven. And the Bible says that if there's no rain in the land, Uh, uh, That Solomon prays, Lord, if there's no rain And if famine and pestilence have come upon the land And and we're at our wit's end Lord, would you hear us if we pray from here And God comes back and he says If my people will humble themselves and, And forsake their sins And turn from their wicked ways Then will I hear from heaven In other words, when they come to the realization That the way that they have been living Has led them to an unrescuable state And they realize that God's way is better. And they cry out to God, then God will help them. How do I humble myself before God? I stop believing every passing feeling and put faith firmly in his word. Humility is seeing God as the answer rather than yourself as the answer. And listen, if you could have done it, you would have done it last year. If you could do it on your own, you would have done it the year before. If you could make it happen with greater effort, you would have already gotten there to where God's called you to be. If you could do it on your own, you would have already done it. And so how do you incline your heart to the Lord? First of all, you humble yourself and you say, God, I cannot make it without you. I cannot do it without you. God, the things that you're calling out of me, they are not in me. And so, Lord, you're going to have to help me. And I humble myself because I don't think that I've got what it takes. But, Lord, I trust that you do. How do I incline my heart? I make room for his word in my life. Can I get an amen? Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, listen to this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. If you go days without the word of God being on your mind, And in your heart, you are forfeiting the blessed life. There's only two options here. There's the way of sinners, the path of of the ungodly. There's that way. And then there's the meditating on God's word way. And and the psalmist sets it up. He says the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. They're here for a moment, and then they're blown away by circumstances. Why? Because there's no room in their life for the life-changing precepts of the Word of God. And so I make room for the Word in my life if I want to incline and position my heart. You see, when the Word's in my life, God can speak to me. Brother Jason, God can start talking to me about how I've been getting it wrong and where I've gone astray. When the Word's in my life, God can point things out to me, and He can reveal promises to me. He can speak to me about what I'm leaving and uh, uh, fleeing from, and He can speak to me about the things that I need to follow after. When the Word's in my life, God suddenly has some direction over my life, and when I make room for the Word in my life, I have inclined my heart. And I've said, God, here it is so that you can work on it. I set my affections on things above. That word affections means thoughts, my mind, my thoughts. Anybody ever struggle with your thoughts? How do I incline my heart? I set my affections on things above. Listen to what Philippians 4 says. It says, be anxious for nothing. How many of you have a little anxiety in your life? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, listen to this, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving present your request to God. And listen, when you do that, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So I, I'm convinced that people who live racked by anxiety are missing the peace that comes through a personal walk with God. I, I don't say that to be ugly because I know there's a lot of anxiety in our world, but it's not a coincidence to me that anxiety measure at an all-time high in the same time where secular humanism is a prevailing thought of our day. When we think that we're the answer, we're worried about everything, because we know the truth. But he said, if you pray by, about everything, one, one version says this, worry about nothing, but pray about everything. I set my mind and my thoughts on things above, and he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, Lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. How do I incline my heart? If I want to see real change this year, then I have to change what I spend my time thinking about. Our thoughts begin to create the atmosphere of our affections. And I want to see God do great and mighty things in my life. And so I have to transition from worry into worship. That's my mission for 2022. I'm transitioning out of worry and into worship. I'm getting out of complaining and into praying and, and, and bringing supplications before God. I've got to stop believing that the worst is going to happen and start thanking God. Listen to what he says. He says you've you got to thank God and approach Him in thanksgiving. If I stop complaining and start giving thanks, it'll shift my focus on who God is and not how bad things are. And so I have to stop believing the worst and start thanking God for what he's already done. And I have to set my thoughts on higher. things. How do I incline my heart as I make room in my life for God to minister, to work, for his spirit to move? And I learn to hate what kills. See, part of loving what is right is hating what is wrong. Anybody got a love-hate relationship? I got a love-hate relationship with fried food. I love the taste, I love to eat it, but I hate looking at that scale afterwards. I was swollen up, I was trying to, I was talking to my wife the other day, I was trying to figure out when I got fat, and I don't know when it happened, but it happened! About 10 pounds heavier than I was last year, when did I put it on? I like to think it was some weekend or some vacation or some trip, but it was all of it! I got a love-hate relationship with it. Listen, I love spending money, but I hate being broke. And sometimes this is how we live. You go to Target innocently, well-intentioned. Man, if you go with your wife, you're going out poor. (laughs) I hate it, but I love it. And we all have love-hate relationships. In Romans 7, Paul shows us we all deal with it. But here's the truth, sin feels good for a moment. And the reason that we struggle with things is because it feels easier and better not to pray sometimes in the moment. When we feel like there's a lot of rushing thoughts and things going on and it's easier and more convenient to just put it aside and say, I'll come back to that. And it can feel mighty easy and pleasurable even at a moment to not have to buckle down and do what God's called you to do. But let me tell you, you pay the tax later because you wake up one day and your life is empty and you're far from God and you can't hear God's voice and you have no direction and it amounts up to all the times. When did it happen? It didn't happen in a moment. It was in a thousand bad choices of taking the easier route because in our hearts, we didn't get it right. And so listen to what the psalmist says. He says, I hate the double-minded, but I love law. I love what he does here. He says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes, and I've learned to hate my double-mindedness. He said, I've learned to hate the thing that causes me to miss out on everything that God wants me to do. And listen, hate is a strong, if not stronger, motivator than love is. Because if you hate somebody, you'll cross the street to cause a problem. You know what I'm saying? You're not too busy when you got hate in your heart. And so, when you learn to hate the thing that's tanking your spiritual life, it brings you to a place where you love what God loves, but you also hate what God hates. And it brings your heart into alignment with God's precepts. He said, I incline my heart to perform your statutes. Would you stand with me? I incline my heart to perform your statutes. I incline my heart. Lord, I'm positioning my heart in 2022 for you to do what only you can do. I've got to recognize who he has called me to be for 2022. And that's the last thing I wanted to say is real change is rooted in your identity. Listen, when you know who you are, you know what to do. A few months ago, I, I'm, Ryland's in here, I think he passed out, he's asleep. A few months ago, we were washing dishes in the kitchen. The older two were helping, and Rylan, you know, he was only five at the time, now he just turned six, he was in the living room playing. So I was picking at him, I said, Rylan, you want to come in here and help us with dishes? And he acted like he didn't hear me, and so his brother walked over there and said, Rylan, why don't you come help us do the dishes? And he looked up at him and he said, I'm not that guy, pal. <laughs> Some of you will know what video I'm talking about, it was a fight. A viral video, this guy, he says, you're not that guy, pal. Some guy was going to fight him. He said, trust me, you're not that guy. And Ryland said, I'm not that guy, pal. He wasn't at all tempted to wash the dishes because he knew who he was. Listen, when you know who you are, you know how to live. And when you recognize that you are a blood-bought child of God, that you were put in this world to be light, to be somebody's salt, You were put in this world to make a difference for somebody else. You weren't here just to collect the blessings of God, but you are an emissary of God's kingdom. Every day of your life, when you know who you are, you know what to do. And next time that you feel like not doing it, you know what you need to say? I'm not that guy, pal. That, That may be who I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore. When temptation comes knocking and your past comes knocking at your door, as pastor preached so well, here's what you need to say is, I'm not that guy anymore. You you know, there are people who think, well, I'm a recovering. No, listen, when God bought you with a price, when you were baptized in his name, you took on a new identity. When he filled you with a spirit, you're a new creature and a new creation. And listen, you're not who you used to be. The old you didn't pray. The old you had no interest in spiritual things. The old you didn't want to walk with God. But you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy anymore. God has called you and is is asking you to step forward. Listen, I love what God does with Abraham. God looks at Abraham who has one illegitimate son by Hagar. And he says, your name shall be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. God was already dealing with him on the level of who he called him to be. And I just have to believe that when Abraham realized who God had called him to be, it enabled him to walk in it in the future. you got to know who you are. Scripture says, let the weak say, I am strong. You've been struggling, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak men, another version says, become men of war because you've got to start speaking into your life and recognizing who God has called you to be. How many of you want to see God do his best in 2022? Amen. Let's lift our hands and can we pray in one accord? God, your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. God, your word, it sheds light on all of our situations, God. It gives us direction every single day. I pray that it would deal with us and speak to us right now in this simple Wednesday night Bible study. Lord, let us open our hearts. Let us position our hearts so that you can change us from the inside out. God, would you just come and do an inner work, God. We don't want to just try better and, and, and try to do more, but Lord, we want you to change us from the inside out. Come on, that's what repentance is. Somebody ought to tell them. Whatever it is that you struggle with, that God's already been talking to you about, would you say, Lord, would you change my heart? Would you change my beliefs? Would you change my inner thoughts so that it flows into my life as you've declared for it to be?